Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Last week on the wall, I hope you enjoyed it. If you were in the first service, you probably need to go back and listen to the second service because my dad pulled a fast one. He switched sermons on us in the second service. And so just because you were here first service doesn't mean you know what he said on the second service. So I encourage you to go back. It was powerful, both services, and I appreciate him doing that. We're going to start a new series today. Uh, just a couple weeks long, at least I think it's just going to be a couple weeks long. It was only supposed to be one week long, and I got into it, and God said, no, no, you got to split this one up. And so I want you to join me, if you will, in some passages of Scripture that I think uh, we can g- gain a lot of information and a lot of rele- revelation into our situation. If you will, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 11, and then we're going to go into 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, this this is probably not a new passage of scripture to you, but I think maybe some new insight or at least some forgotten insight that we need to look at. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. First Samuel chapter four verse eleven simply says this: the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, who happened to be the high priest at the time, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. You you know the story: the Philistines come in and steal the ark, and all of a sudden. Uh, chaos breaks out into the kingdom of Israel. And then in First Chronicles chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says this. This is after Saul has off the scene. He's uh, died at the hands of, of his enemies, and now David is on the scene, and this is what happens. It says, David consulted with all of his leaders, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and then David addressed the entire assembly of Israel. If it seems right to you, and it is God's will, let's invite all of our relatives, wherever they are throughout Israel, along with their relatives, including their priests and Levites from their cities and the surrounding pastures to join us. And let's bring the chest of our God back, the chest that was out of sight, out of mind. That's an interesting phrase there. Out of sight, out of mind during the days of Saul. In the King James, it says it like this. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then the Bible says the entire assembly of Israel agreed. Everybody agreed that it was the right thing to do. So David gathered all Israel together from Egypt's pond of Horus in the southwest to the pass of Hamath in the southeast to go and get the chest of God from Kirith-Jerim. And David and all of Israel went to Balah, Kirith-Jerim, and Judah to bring back the chest of God, the cherubim throne of God, where God's name is invoked. They moved the chest of God on a brand new cart from the house of Abinadab with Uzzah and Ahio in charge. And in the procession, the chest of God, David and all of Israel uh, were worshiping exuberantly and song and dance with a marching band of all kinds of instruments. And when they were at the threshing floor of Kaidan, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah grabbed the chest to keep it from falling off. God erupted in anger against Uzzah and killed him because he grabbed the chest. He died on the spot in the presence of God. David lost his temper, angry because God exploded against Uzzah. And the place is still called Perez Uzzah, which means exploded Uzzah. Now, I just had this thought. It's kind of cool to have a, a name like a, your, your, your hometown or a city named after you. I mean, that's a big honor. But I don't know that I want a, a Steve exploded. I don't know if that, I don't, I don't really want that 
That's what it was called. Uh, Exploded Uza. That's a great name for a city. I, you know, see that on the little city sign as you're pulling in. You, you just turn and go the other way, right? So th that's what happened. Then David goes on and he says, how can I, uh, or David was terrified of God that day. He said, how can I possibly continue this parade with the chest of God? So David called off the parade of the chest to the city, uh, Edom, or the, the city of David. Instead, he stored it in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the chest of God was in storage in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And God blessed the family of Obed-Edom and everything around him. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 6. Same account gives us a little bit different information. It says this. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, in the passage I read you out of First Chronicles, it calls it the, the threshing floor of Chitin. But here it says it's called the threshing floor of Nacon. That will become very important next week. The oxen stumbled, so Uzzah reached out and grabbed the chest of God. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 through 15 says, It was reported to King David that God had prospered Obed-Edom and his entire household because of the chest of God. So David thought, I'll get that blessing for myself. I want some of you to begin to think that. I'll get that blessing for myself. Amen. You need to go back and get some blessings for yourself. And he went up and brought up the chest of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, celebrating extravagantly all the way with frequent sacrifices of choice bulls. In the King James, it says he offers, offered a sacrifice every six steps. Then it says, David ceremonially dressed in the priest's linen, and he danced with great abandon before God. And just stop right there and tell you that this teaches us that sometimes you've got to do what you've never done in order to get what you've never had. That's what David does. He dances before God with great abandonment. And the whole country with it was with him as he accompanied the chest of God with shouts and trumpet blasts. A wise man once said this. He said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Think about that a moment. An unexamined life is not worth living. This morning, I want to cause you over the, this week and next week to do some self-examination. To consider your own life and where you are in your journey, in your walk, in the procession of your life towards God or away from God or in, in spite of God. However you're walking, I don't know how you're walking, but I want you to examine your own journey with God and do some self-examination and evaluation to know what's going on. There are some lessons that I think this passage of Scripture needs that we need to gain from this as we evaluate our own life because you've got to look at your life from a perspective as am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I where I need to be? In order to do that, you have to learn these lessons. A couple lessons quickly from, from this passage. The, as you begin to digest the passage of Scripture, there is a very telling statement that I read to you. It may have not even sunk in necessarily, but I want you to see and get a grip, grasp in this and get this into your spirit. In First Chronicles chapter 13, Verse 3, there's one sentence there that makes this statement about the nation of Israel. It says, they did not seek the ark during the days of Saul. That is an incredibly revealing statement about the condition of the nation. From the time that Saul became king and the chest was lost in battle, from that moment forward, they did not inquire, they did not seek, they did not pursue the ark of God. In fact, most commentaries 
believe and state that they feel like from the time that the ark was lost until the day that I read to you where David makes up his mind to go get the ark back, that 20 long years had passed. 20 years of no ark. Well, what's the big deal about that? The tangible, the tangible reality of the presence of God was absent from the nation and the daily proceedings and, and goings on of a nation for 20 years and they didn't miss it. Think about that a moment. For 20 years they continued to engage in normal daily business and they never missed the presence of God for 20 years. It speaks to the mindset of an entire nation but the responsibility and the indictment literally falls to the king that had no desire to seek or to pursue or to obtain the presence of God. I want that insight and that verse to get into your mind and spirit because it literally teaches us that they went for 20 years and never missed the presence of God. Think about that one moment like this. Saul didn't pursue the ark, but he continued to be king. The, the presence of God, the glory of God that had invaded, that had always resided in the the, the, the culture and in the environment of Israel where they constantly turned to seek the Father and to know God's ways. For 20 years it was gone. Saul continued to be king. He still lived in the palace. He still had the opulence surrounding him. He still dressed in the finest clothes. He still slept between satin sheets. He was the king. In fact, like many of us on a bad hair day, we just don't even think about it. We grab the ball cap, we throw it on our head and cover what little hair we have left and go about our daily business. Saul, on a daily basis, would take the sign, the, the symbol of his, his authority, of his reign, and he would place that crown on his head and go about his business as if he had the covering of God. But I want to tell you this morning that just because you have a crown, that does not equal a covering. See, the reality for you this morning is you need to understand this. Most of you have had an encounter with God, and you know what it's like to come into the presence of God, and you know what it's like to deal with the presence of God. At some moment in your past, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't true. You've had some connection with God. You have been crowned. You, you have gone through a crowning moment where, where you recognize that God is teaching you, and God is, a, is a, interested in you, and you're interested in Him. But what Saul's life teaches us is that you can experience the anointing of God's Spirit. You can be called out. You can be chosen. And then you can get away from that presence and reality and continue to live a blessed life for a little while. But one day, the crown fades. And you recognize and you wake up to the fact that your covering is gone. I'm preaching this morning. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Because see, what his life continues to teach is you go study the life of Saul. And what you continue to understand is that yes, he was blessed. And yes, he was anointed. And yes, he was chosen. But one day he recognizes that he wakes up and he's broken and he's destroyed. Because sin will bring pleasure for a season. If anybody ever tells you sin's not fun, look at them and tell them they're sinning right then because they're lying. Because sin is fun. For a season. But once we wake up and recognize that just because we've been chosen by God and crowned by God and anointed by God, if we're not constantly pursuing His presence, we will wake up one day with no covering on our life. Some of you look like a king. Some of you walk like a king. Some of you act like a king and talk like a king. 
But my question to you this morning is, are we living in a situation where we were like Saul in the kingdom of Israel, where we don't even, we no longer even pursue His presence. His presence is gone, and we don't even recognize it. When's the last time you did some life examination and discovered in your life that you haven't pursued His ark and that you discovered that there is no presence of God in your life? When's the last time? How many of you are missing the tangible reality of the presence of God in your life and you haven't missed it, you haven't noticed it, you haven't pursued it? How long has it been since you've hungered for His covering? How many weeks have gone by? How many months have gone by? How many years have gone by since the last time you became so hungry for His presence that you pressed into Him? Oh, I didn't say you didn't come to church. I didn't say you didn't throw your hands up during worship. I didn't say you didn't know how to say, Oh, bless you, brother. I hope you're having a great week. I didn't say, that's looking like a king and sounding like a king and talking like a king. My question is, is are you going about your daily business, conducting life as if it's all normal and it's all okay, but there's no ark in your life. You've got the crown, you just have no covering. You've got to pursue His presence. See, I think a lot of us live like practical atheists. You know what the definition of that is, right? You believe there's a God, but you conduct your life as if there's not one. Right? You, 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 oh, I know, God, I know you're there. That's why I come to church on Sunday. But if it's all right with you, I'll just live my life Monday through Saturday as if I know what I'm doing, and I'll check you out again on Sunday. Crowned, but no cover. That's the story of what's going on here. Most of us have had an encounter with God, and then we walk away from that encounter to never check back in again. What I am calling you to do is to examine your life and ask yourself this question. Is that crowning moment that you experienced 15 years ago enough? Is the crowning moment that you had with God in that encounter with Him in His presence 15 months ago enough? Is the crowning moment you had 15 weeks ago or 15 days ago, is that enough? Or do you need a fresh covering of God's presence to daily invade your life? You have got to tune back in that you've got to daily check where you are. We need Him. By the way, I just this is free. Uh, David reveals that it takes everyone to bring the glory back. David didn't say, you know what, I'm going to go get the glory by myself. He brought everybody in. And, and the one man may call us to finding the glory, and one man may stir up the hunger in us, but the reality is it takes all of us to go back and pursue the glory of God. One man can't get it by himself. David teaches us that it takes a group of people who are examining their life on a daily basis, saying, God, I know I've encountered you in the past, but I need a fresh encounter with you today. The second thing it teaches us is that applause does not equal approval. That was good. Y'all sit there and stare at me like I was crazy. Applause does not equal approval. I want you to see what happened. David hasn't even sought the mind of God. He didn't say, God, I, I long for your presence. He was right in his desire. I want to go get the ark. But he never checked with God and said, how should I do it? He just said, you know what? I'll just do it how I want to do it. And guess what? Everybody applauds him. The nation rises up and applauds. They cheer him. I think they're probably clapping and giving each other high fives and 
chest bumps and fist bumps and all the bumps that you can give one another, I guess, I don't know. And, and they're going crazy and they're applauding and clapping for him. But just because they were applauding him does not mean that God had approved what he was trying to do. The word says the people were celebrating, they were dancing, they were singing, they were playing instruments, as if everything was all right. But what I want to say to you today is that just because everyone is slapping you on your back and just because everybody's clapping for you and just because everybody's telling you you're the best little Christian there ever was on the face of the planet, that does not mean that their applause substitutes the approval of God. See, I, I just need to tell you that some of us believe the hype and we mistake man's approval for God's approval. And I just need to tell somebody in the room today that if you're not careful, people will clap you right into a catastrophe. Ah, oh, you're okay. Just do what you want to do. Yeah, you're, you're acting crazy, but I'm not brave enough to tell you you're acting crazy. So I'll just pat you on the back and say, oh, you're doing okay, brother. Just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, well, if they like it, God must like it. And we walk right into catastrophe while they're clapping for us. See, some of you are leading the parade. Oh, no, come on now. Some of you are leading the parade, but you are devoid of the presence and the approval of God. And a lot of times, all the applause means is that someone has learned to play the game and that they haven't hit a bump in life yet. Come on now, I'm preaching right there. Some of you, everybody has applauded you and you just had not hit a bump yet. We'll talk more about that next week. And all of a sudden you wake up and realize that they were telling me I'm all right, but I never asked God, am I all right? Some of you need to go back and ask God, am I doing what you want me to be doing? I know the pastor said I was okay, and, and the deacon said I was okay, and the elder said I was okay, and my friend at work said I'm okay. But what do you say? David never stopped and said, God, I hear all the applause. They're celebrating for my idea. It's a good idea, but God, was it a God idea? Some of you are operating your whole lives on good ideas and you've never stopped and asked God, is this a God idea? I think I'll take that job. But is it a God idea? I, I think I'll get in that relationship. But was it a God idea? Oh, you're quiet this morning. Examine your life. When's the last time you checked in with God and even though your spouse is applauding you, oh, honey, you're the greatest. Your kids are going, go, go, go. What does God say? David found himself right in the middle of the biggest catastrophe of his life. And all the while he was doing it, people were cheering him as if he was the best. The third thing and final thing I want to say to you this morning is that easy doesn't always equal a right. It's going to get tight here. Easy, I know, I know the commercial's out there and all you got to do is push, push the easy button. But uh, let me just tell you this morning that easy doesn't always equal right. David took the path of least resistance. David saw what somebody else had done. The, 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 the enemies of Israel had loaded the cart up on a, or loaded the, the, the ark of God up on a cart and walked it into captivity. And so he just says, you know what, that was easy. I think I'll do that. But it wasn't right. He was a copycat. 
He saw something that worked for somebody else and decided that if it's easy, it must be right, and that's what I'll do. And too many of us are doing what is easy, but we're not doing what's right. And we take the path of least resistance, and we take the easy way out, and we, find, we, we think that that substitutes for what's doing right. But can I help you this morning? Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's right. Let me, let me, let me get real practical for you. Uh, um, they live together, and it worked for them. So it must, that, you know, they, they lived together before they got married for six months, and, and it worked out, and now they're married, and they're all happy. So that's, that's the easy. It must be right. They did it. It was easy for them. That's what I'll do. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's right. Well, I think I'll lay my credit card down on the counter. I know I got $92,000 worth of credit card bill, but I need this, so I'll lay that down. It's easy. But it's not right. I see people that don't tithe, and, and God says if you, you, you don't tithe, you're going to be cursed. But I don't see them cursed. Well, you don't really know their life, but I don't see them cursed. You don't know the fact that the bank owns everything they have, but, but they're not tithing, so it must be all right. So I'm not going to tithe. That's easy. Tithing is never easy. I don't care how much money you make. In fact, let me share this truth with you. The more money you make, the harder it is to tithe. I've discovered that the, the more financially secure I am, then I lose my trust level and I think I can manage my money better than God can and it's easier just to take care of my own. And then I fail to realize that just because it's easy doesn't mean it's right. That's the story. Well, I see my, my co-worker, he doesn't really work hard. So I think I'll just slide by this week. I know that would be easy but it ain't right. And my marriage is hard. I have to work at my marriage. It would be easier to leave this relationship and start that relationship because it's all exciting. And so since it's easier than fighting out the confrontation and the difficulties and actually investing in the relationship that God has placed in my life, it would be much easier for me to vacate this relationship and go start this relationship, dummy. Because all you do is take the baggage from this relationship and move it into this one because easy doesn't mean right. See, here's the truth I want you to hear this morning. Time after time in the Old Testament, I went and looked back. When, when the Bible would begin to describe kings and begin to deal with them, the Bible would say, that those that were blessed gave them this description. Here it is. Profound description. Every time God would say, and such and such king was blessed, here's why. Here it is. Because they did what was right in the eyes of God. We want to be blessed, but we want to do easy. When the truth is that in order to be blessed, can I just tell you this morning that it's not easy to be blessed. To be blessed, you have to do what's right. In fact, if you go back, I went back and read, when Moses stands up and gives the children of Israel all the laws, he punctuates their, the call to them to do all these things according to what God has said to do. Moses punctuates that call right at the end, and he says, do what's right in the eyes of God. So I want to call you back to that this morning. 
that if you are going to live at the level that God wants you to live, and you are going to encounter and experience the blessings of God in your life, you are going to have to give up this notion of doing what is easy, and you are going to have to do the hard work of doing what is right. Because society and your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers and your classmates will try to convince you that the path of least resistance is always the path that you should take. But what this account tells us and teaches us is that sometimes doing what is right is difficult and hard and uncomfortable and takes more time and isn't convenient and there's no button to push and no no instantaneous gratification but when we do what's right the Bible says that blessing falls in our life I just need you to know this morning that God blesses us based on doing what's so this morning I want to challenge you to do some self-examination. Are you crowned but you have no covering? I know you sparkle and shine and all that good stuff. But have it, has it been year after year after year of living your life and having no real encounter with you? Week after week in services where the presence of God is so strong you can cut it with a knife, but you don't get involved in that because I'm crowned. I'm above all that. I had, I had that happen in my life 20 years ago. I don't need it again. Really. Are people applauding for you? You're the best. Oh, you're the best. Yay, you. Go, go, go. I'm my cheerleading thing again for you because I'm, I'm not sore anymore from the last time I did it. Right? I'm cheering for you. I'm excited for you. Do what you're doing. But just because we're applauding for you, the real question is, is God applauding what you're doing? Last but not least, are you living your life easy but cursed? David tried to take the easy way out. And what happens? Destruction. Uzzah exploded. What I've discovered in my own life is anytime I try to take the easy way out, things explode around me. And as much as I like stuff to explode, I'm kind of crazy like that. I kind of like pyro and stuff like that. I kind of like it planned explosions. I don't like these suddenlies out of nowhere. Everything around me explodes into chaos. Some of your life is literally exploding in chaos and stress and pain and agony and sickness and destruction because you keep trying to take the easy way out. I'm going to give me a get-rich-quick scheme. I ain't going to tie I'm going to get rich, and then I'll tie Explosion. Bills show up. The car falls apart. Come on, I'm preaching right now. Some of you won't do the hard work in relationship, and so guess what explodes? Your relationship. It's easy. But is it right? I want to tell you this morning, hear me carefully and then we're going to close. We are being crowned. Okay, I've talked to you individually. Let me talk to you corporately just for a second. This body of believers is being crowned. Some of you don't know that. We don't brag about it. It's just a reality. Those of us that walk in some different circles of leadership around our, our area, 
they know about us and they are applauding what's going on here. Every week I have significant leaders that are calling me, emailing me when they see me. They're saying, man, we love what you're doing. Here's my question. When we settle for being crowned and have a nice building with a nice name, or will we do the hard work of pressing into the presence of God and saying, you know what? Forget the crown. I want the king. And I don't care how much y'all applaud for us. Applaud all you want. Every time you drive up and down the road, applaud. Come visit. We had a pastor come in this weekend that walked through the building and his jaw dropped. He's running 1,200 people and he walked in here and said, I want you to come to where I'm at and help me do what you're doing here. Really? Thanks. But it's God. That's what I care about. And I just want to make a commitment to you this morning. We're not going to do what's easy. We're going to do what's right. It would be easy just to pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, we're done. We've done all we're supposed to do. Got enough people to pay the bills. That's easy. But that's not right. There are people all around here. There are people on this street that don't know Jesus. There is a family, one house over, not, not Miss Jenny, she's saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about her. One house over. I want to get that right. One house over that the husband literally walked in two weeks ago, drank himself to death, walked in the door, and died on the doorstep because alcohol had ravaged his life. It would be easy to go. Or would it be right to reach out to people like that? Because I want to tell you there are families all around us. There's a school right here that needs us. There are apartment complexes back where we were that still need to be reached out to. There are people that you work with that still need to be reached out to. There are family members that you have that would be easier to ignore their sin and say nothing about their sin and to deal nothing with Jesus about it. But it's right to stand up and say, No! God help sliding by and by doing what's easy. Change the control. I want you to stay with me this morning. An unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life will get you in trouble cause you to falter and fall. Father, this morning, I pray you do what I cannot do. I cannot force individuals in this room to have a hard conversation with themselves. I can try my best, but the reality is I come up short. There's no way I can force individuals in this room to examine their heart. So I'm asking you to do what you can do better than I could ever do it. Penetrate our hard hearts, our calloused hearts, our facade, our acts, our games, our charades. Father, I pray you'd speak to somebody in this room that is living a crowned life. They've been anointed as king. If they're living as a king, they're conducting business as usual. They're even experiencing blessings. But they just haven't pursued you in a long time. If I was to ask them right now, they'd say, I'm blessed highly favored of the Lord. And the truth is, 
the right because they've been anointed as a keeper. But Father, this morning I pray that we would begin to deal with this concept of are we crowned but have no covering? Are we like Saul and the entire nation that had an encounter with you, walked away from it, and didn't even inquire for 20 years? Out of sight, out of mind. Father, if there's one here today that that would be their testimony, that would be their story, I pray that you would penetrate their heart this morning and that they would begin to pursue you with everything that's within them. Father, there are others in here that are being applauded. People are saying great things about them. God, I pray that they would do us a, a, a few moments of evaluation and they would check in with you and see if you are applauding. Do you approve of the decisions we're making, the choices we're, we're making, the path we're walking? It's not enough for everybody else to cheer me on. Are you satisfied? Are you content? Are you comfortable with the decisions that I'm making and the way I'm living my life? I long for your approval more than man's. In fact, I'll say it like this, Father. If nobody else goes with me, I'll still follow what you say to do. And if nobody cheers, as long as I have your stamp of approval, that's how I want to live my life. And Father, for the rest of us this morning, I know it's easy to do the easy. But God, I pray that we would examine our own lives and we would recognize and ask ourselves this question. I know it's easy, but is it right? Are the decisions that we're making on a daily basis with our finances, on a daily basis with relationships, on a daily basis in our work ethic, in our daily basis with the way we live our life, is it easy or is it right? God, if we've been doing what's easy, I pray that we would shift and we would begin to do what's right in the eyes of you, in your eyes, because we know that as soon as we do that, blessings come and everything changes. For our good. Help us to examine our life this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. This is how I want us to end this morning. I want you to take just a few moments. You can come to this altar. You can turn and make your seat an altar. I don't care either way. And I just want you to spend a few moments examining. I, I, look, I know how we do this. Some of you are professionals at this. In fact, most of us are. We can do this without really thinking. And he said, spend a few moments. I'll kneel for about 30 seconds and then I'll check my watch while he's not looking and then... I'll get my bulletin and then I'll get my stuff together because it's time to leave. And Where am I going to eat this afternoon? I understand. That's easy. That's not right. I'm asking you to take the next minute, minute and a half till Pastor Danny feels like it's time. Find and make yourself an altar. Do what David did. Go back and seek the mind of God. Check your own life. Do some self-examination and say, do I have His presence in my life? Do I have His approval in my life? Am I doing what's right? And if the answer is no, David's life teaches us that it can be changed and you can get, do what's right instantly. And I encourage you to do that. Would you find yourself a place to pray right now and seek the mind of God? been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more past resources or to make a donation online, 
visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.